So have you ever been um, trying to finish a project and you end up finding yourself having trouble just getting started on the project? Kind of like the expansion of our building, you know, kind of like that. <laughs> I don't want to pick on the building too much. No, but it, it kind of feels like if, if someone went to me and they said, Billy, we need to connect the UP to the whole rest of Michigan and go. Like, I would be inept at that. Like, I would be so over my head if someone was like, you're in charge of figuring out how to build the Mackinac Bridge. And I even went online this week just to be like, how did they do that? And so here's some photos to show you. But like, you look at that, you don't see all the work that happens under the water first. And those of you who are like engineer types or like bridge engineer builder type people, you're like, oh yeah, no, I get how that works. You got to go down under the water. You got to dig a hole in the muddy stuff. And then you got to put some rock in there and some concrete and you got to make footers. You're like footers are important. And you got to go do all that because I looked it up this week and that's what it said. And I still didn't understand it after I looked it up, but you start with this, but eventually you're going to have to get up in the air because you have to run that cabling. And I look at that and I'm like, no, thanks. I'm like, nope, uh-uh, look at these guys. But they look, look how happy they look. They don't look stressed out. They look like it's time for a snack. That's what they look like. And then eventually they kind of start to show off and put the road into place. Like, look at that. That boggles my brain, church, or this one. Look at this church. I, I can't even, like, I look at that and I'm like, no, I understand what I'm looking at. I just don't get how this whole thing is working. But finally you end up with what we know and love as the Mackinac Bridge today or this one isn't that fantastic? So cool. But imagine you're one of the disciples in the early church, and Jesus looks at you, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to be my witness. I want you to be a witness of the fact that Jesus is alive. He has risen. He has conquered sin and death, and people can have a right standing with God because of faith in Christ. You're going to go, and you're going to be my witness to the very ends of the earth. Do you know how overwhelming that mission would have been? Most of these guys, they walked wherever they went. There was no train, plane, automobile. None of that existed. And so they walked. And the biggest distance they walked was pretty much like here to Ann Arbor. You know, it's like that kind of a distance, a little bit further than that. But that's about the distance. So imagine if he would have said, you are going to go to the very ends of the earth. It would have seemed like a mountain of a mission, wouldn't it? A mountain of a goal where you're going, I feel inept. I don't know how to wrap my mind around that type of goal, around that type of mission. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, forget first century. Like, I feel that way today. I can't even figure out how to reach my neighbor. You know, I can't figure out how to reach the people at school or at work, how to be intentional about spreading the gospel there in my own family. I can't figure that out. So ends of the earth, Ecuador, like, I, man, that just boggles my brain. I don't know how I would do that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do we get momentum in the mission. We are starting a brand new sermon series. Welcome, everyone. I'm Billy. I'm the pastor here at Woodside Romeo. And this brand new series is focused uh, exclusively on Acts chapter 2. Let's take our Bibles and open up there this morning. Acts chapter 2. Acts is one of those chapters in the Bible you probably ought to have a bookmark right there or dog ear your Bible or do something to draw your attention to right here because this chapter tells us so much about the formation, about the mission, about the life of this new spiritual family, which quick time out throughout this series. If I say spiritual family, I'm talking about the church. And if I say the word church, 
I'm talking about our spiritual family. Like those two words are synonymous. They should be synonymous, right? Spiritual family and church, we're talking about those two things and how we have a unique mission. Our mission is to take the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and make sure that everyone on the planet knows it. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And so what I love is, is we're wrestling with how do we do this? How do we even get started? Like not how do we do it, but how do we even get started? That's where Jesus says, you're not going to be alone in this. I'm going to give you a gift. The gift isn't what, the gift is who. He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that brings our big idea today. Our big idea is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God brings movement to the mission. That's how we get started. He brings movement to the mission. And so what we're going to do for the rest of this morning is we're really going to dive in and we're going to look at that really using Acts 2 as our guideline for everything that we talk about. We're going to look at how the Spirit brings movement to the mission. First, you're going to see that the Spirit was sent to keep God's promise. God's given a promise. The Spirit was sent to keep that promise. Let's start reading in verse number 1. Acts 2, starting in verse 1, Luke writes this. He says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So chapter 2 tells us that we're, we're right in the day of Pentecost now. To really understand the day of Pentecost, you have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 16, verses 9 through 12. And what you're going to find is you're going to find the Feast of Weeks there. So with all celebrations, with all festivals, with all feasts in the Jewish world, almost all of them centered around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the epicenter for all the celebration. Now, yes, the surrounding communities would also celebrate, but Jerusalem was where it's at. It'd be like if every year you, um, you, you were a fan of Michigan or State, doesn't matter which one, but during homecoming week, if you go to Ann Arbor or Lansing, it'd be like that. If every year you go, you're probably going with friends, right? Or family, or both. And you're going to go to some of the same restaurants, stay at the same place, sit in the same part of the stadium, are you picturing this in your head? Every year, you've got these rhythms. You've got these traditions, right? And so for the Jewish people, this is what would have happened. They would have gone to Jerusalem, been in that same place where they're surrounded by the same friends every single year. Luke reports to us in verse number two that they were together when this powerful movement of God occurs. First, it says that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. And before they saw anything, they heard it. Do you see that first thing they, they heard? They heard this sound like a mighty rushing wind, this sound. That word sound is the word ekos. It's spelled the same as echo, right? The word ekos. Ekos, though, is a specific kind of a sound. I think to really understand it, you go back to the Old Testament. Do you remember when Moses and the Hebrew people, they were right up next to Mount Sinai. This is right before God spoke to Moses. Exodus 19, 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. And a, here it is, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That same word right there, that sound that came out is, is echos. It's that sound when you're standing there and there's like this boom or this clap or some noise behind you that kind of makes you do one of those. 
It just makes you kind of jiggle inside. That's ecos. Do you, do you see how Luke is bringing this to life in the minds of the readers? Like as they're reading this, they're going to be able to picture the kind of sound that happened. It's one that would cause literally a jolt in everyone. And then he says, and then there was this like a mighty rushing wind. Throughout the Old Testament, we see examples where the Lord's presence is symbolized by wind. Do you remember the prophet Ezekiel? This is uh, Ezekiel 37, 9 through 14. For some of you, this is one of your favorite passages in Scripture. It says that Ezekiel looked out over the valley, looked out over the land. And what did he see, church? He saw dry bones. It was full of dry bones, full of just dead, right? Just death, just dry bones. But when the breath went out, when the mighty wind went out, what happened to the dry bones? They came to life. I want you to know that that's what the Holy Spirit still does today. He takes those who are spiritually dead and he brings new life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in a spot where you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm in church. I've been trying to go to church. I've been trying to do church stuff because I know inside I need something. Inside, it's just, um, it's death. It's dry bones inside here. I just want you to know you don't have to live like that. You can be part of a family. The Holy Spirit really can breathe life into you today. You can experience life today. But all this, just as a reminder, all this was being done. Why? Well, because God keeps his promise. I want to show you the promise. Acts 2 is where we're at, but go back just probably one page. Acts 1-4. Look at Acts 1-4, what it says. Your Bible will say, and while staying with them, he, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then fast forward to uh, verse number eight, and then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where you are. And then as you keep traveling, Judea and Samaria. And then finally, all the way to the ends of the earth. Isn't that powerful right there? This, this is awesome. This is God saying, I'm not just going to give you a mission. I'm not just going to tell you what you're supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you that you're going to be able to do it. Not only am I going to tell you you're going to be able to do it, I guarantee you're going to be able to do it. This is, this is cool. This is really, really powerful. Uh, I love sports. I do. I like sports a lot. And it seems like today, everyone talks, right? Fans are talking. Uh, sports radio, they talk. Coaches talk. Players talk. But from my understanding, back in the day, it wasn't quite like that. Like back before I was born, back in the day. Like 1969, not to date myself as being too new, which never happens. But 1969 was Super Bowl three. Super Bowl three, the Baltimore Colts were 15-1 and one on the season. That means they were good. Like, they were really good. They were 18-point favorites in the, y'all, the Super Bowl. 18-point favorites in the Super Bowl. They were playing the New York Jets. The New York Jets had this quarterback, Broadway Joe, right? Joe Namath. Joe Namath, he was, man, this guy was bold. He was flamboyant. He was just not your normal kind of personality in the NFL, 18-point underdogs. You know what Joe Namath said? He said, oh, no, we're going to win the game. And then he goes, I guarantee it. Right? That's what he said. Now, it's one thing for the coach to say it. 
Coaches stand on the sidelines like this, and they bark orders at everybody, make everybody else get hit, right? But the quarterback, he's got to snap his bonnet on, right? He's got to go out there, and they might knock his head off. They really might. You run your lips too much, and they might hit you. But here's what happened. Of course, they win the Super Bowl. He becomes the MVP of the Super Bowl. <laughs> and Joe guaranteed it, right? So, so here's what God does. God says, I'm giving you I'm giving you a mission. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples with the people you live next to, the people you're in school with, the people you work with. I want you to make disciples. Then all throughout the rest of your region and then all the way to Ecuador, all the way to the very ends of the earth, I want you to make disciples. But here's the thing. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there on the field with you. You're not going to be alone in this journey. You're not going to be alone in this mission. I'm going to be part of it. In fact, God's kind of like, I'm going to be the MVP of this story, right? It's going to be about me, and I'm going to be the MVP. So I am going to ensure your success as you're working part of this mission. The Holy Spirit was sent because God keeps his promises. Real fast, this is important. We, um, we can't expect this family to be successful. We can't expect the mission to be successful without the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You see, if I get up here and I preach, and I can try to be as eloquent as I want to be, or as creative as I want to be, or as theologically deep as I want to be, or whatever, like I can try to bring a message without the power of the Holy Spirit, it'd be like me taking this symbol right here and setting it up and just beating on it for 30 minutes. I'm just a clanging symbol. Like, if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing. If Kip and the band gets up here, and they sing their songs, and there's no power of the Holy Spirit, you do realize they're just making a concert, right? They're just singing you some songs. But the reality is our songs are not for you, right? They're not singing to you. It's not about your glory and your greatness. It's about his glory and his greatness, and so that's what worship is. Worship is us getting caught up together and responding to the glory and the greatness and the workings of Almighty God. That's what worship is all about. But church, for us to be the family we're supposed to, not it would be nice with the Holy Spirit. No, we need the Holy Spirit for our success. Number two, the Spirit was sent to mediate God's presence. Look down at verse number three. Luke says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so Luke says uh, the, this description of divided tongues of fire now, just like the wind, right? The wind really was symbolic of the presence of God. The tongues of fire is the same. Fire all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus 3. Exodus 19, 1 Kings 18, we see it in Ezekiel 1, but this is different. You see, before it would be like God coming in the form of a burning bush, right? You're familiar with that story. The burning bush just symbolized and signified the presence of God there. This is different. You see, this is different because all of a sudden there's, there's fire on each and every single one of the believers, I love how this theologian puts it. I think this is so well said. So I just want to read what he said. He says, This seems to suggest that though under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the divine presence rested on Israel as a corporate entity and upon many of its leaders for special purposes. In other words, throughout the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would come and rest over the whole nation of Israel. 
The Holy Spirit would come and rest on Ezekiel or, or rest on, on King David, right? Just for a moment, not, not forever, just for a moment. But he continues and says, under this new covenant as established by Jesus and inaugurated at Pentecost, the Spirit now rests upon each believer individually. And I love how Luke continues because Luke says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you see what just happened? Okay, so going back to our football field analogy, God doesn't just say, I'm going to be on the field with you. He says, I'm going to be in you, and I'm going to work through you. Paul says, this is the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in us. Do you see how this is a game changer? This is not God up in heaven saying, come on, team, go. You can do it. Go to your neighbor. I'm cheering you on. You're going to do great. You know what? That person at work, you can do this. Just be faithful and telling you everything the pastor said. That's all you got to do. Ecuador, well, we hope everything goes well. You can't really speak the language, but good luck. I'm sure you'll do great, you know, and that's not what it is. This is him saying, no, I, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. And not only am I going to be in you, but I'm going to work through you. That is powerful. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the one bringing momentum to the mission. And I want you to, to really pay close attention to why. Because here's what happens. The disciples are then filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The first sign that they have God's power in them is they start to speak in languages they don't know. They start to, the Bible calls it in tongues. They start to speak in languages that they've never learned. I want to I really point out that word utterance. Do you see the word utterance? You might circle that. The word utterance there at the end of verse 4 is a Greek word, apophthengomai. Apophthengomai. Apophthengomai is a really cool word. I've been practicing it all week. You know, apophthengomai. Apophthengomai, it means to declare boldly. It means to, to speak loudly. So here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the disciples all got together in a really dark corner, and they sat over there, and they started whispering. They started whispering in a way and speaking in other languages where only they could hear. That wasn't the point. What was the point? Jesus said, you have a mission. Go and make disciples, starting in Jerusalem and going out. You're going to take this truth of the gospel and you're going to tell everybody on the planet about this. That was the mission. And so to help accomplish the mission, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And once I sent the Holy Spirit, apophengomai, they started to speak boldly. Now, have you ever seen an undercover boss? If you haven't, you've heard of it. It's where a CEO, a manager, an owner of a company will uh, act like they're just a new employee, Right? And the, the whole moral of the story is always the same, that healthy organizations, healthy companies have bosses who, uh, they, they cast a big vision, right? They, they challenge their employees. They motivate them after they challenge them, but then they give them the tools that they need to succeed. Do you see how passionate God is here? He looks not just at them. He looks at us. He says, I'm going to give you a task that's so much bigger than you. I'm going to give you a task. You think connecting the UP to Michigan was big? I'm going to give you the task of taking the gospel message to everyone in your community, everyone you know, everyone in your region. I'm giving you the task of going to the very ends of the earth. That's the task I'm going to give you. And yet, I'm going to motivate you to do it, and then I'm going to give you the tools to do it. Isn't that that's powerful? One more quick point. This is 
also important because there's a lot of confusion when it comes uh, to our churches and speaking in tongues. There's a lot of confusion. Uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see a pattern at Pentecost that is not repeated over and over. You don't see all of a sudden they show up to Ephesus and they immediately can speak the language of all the people. You know, they go to Laodicea. They can speak the language of all the people. It, this doesn't happen. This is just how the Holy Spirit is manifested right here in this moment and time. You also don't see that salvation is only determined by did the person speak in tongues. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says that we have all been baptized into one spirit. During the baptisms here today, as, as these kids were all baptized, they had already received the power of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a second baptism into the Spirit. They had already uh, become followers. And when you become a follower, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. Look what uh, Paul says in Galatians 3.2. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Meaning you don't get the Holy Spirit because of what you do. You don't get the Holy Spirit because you jump through a hoop. You get the Holy Spirit because of your faith. Now I want to slow down right now because this is so, 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 so important. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to indwell you. He takes up residence in you. Again, Paul says that's the hope of glory. When you become a Christian, you place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you so that God can work through you and accomplish his mission, the purpose that he sent us. So you have spiritual gifts. Those gifts are supposed to be to build the church. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but there's one spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So you have gifts to be able to serve this church and this body for the common good as the mission continues. The natural question then is, are you doing that? See, the answer is for some of you, you're like, yeah, no, I, I wake up and I know what God has called me to and I know how I work within this church and I am very faithful in serving and allowing the Lord to work through me. I'm very, very faithful in that. And you find so much joy in that place. And probably if that's you, you're still scratching your head saying, I can't believe that this is the part that I play, that the Lord is doing this. Like, it's amazing to watch what he's doing. But for some of you, you've been sitting for a while and you've been going, I'm not for sure what that looks like. I'm not for sure how to jump in. I'm not for sure how to get started. I think it starts with recognizing that it's, it's not about you getting started or me getting started. It's about What's the Holy Spirit going to do through me? And it's about being part of this body together. Finally, let's get to our third and final point that the Spirit was sent to gather God's people. Look at verse number five. Verse number five says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, 
and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. So again, we have to recognize that with no spirit, there's no church. With no spirit, there's no church. And you've seen this happen, haven't you? Like a group starts together as a church family. And man, you trust on the Lord and you're seeing the Lord do incredible things. But after a season, almost, it's like, no, we're going to just tell the Lord, no, thank you. You know, I've been working on sermons a long time. Lord, no, thank you. I don't need you in the preparation of sermons. We've been singing songs a long time. No, thank you, Lord. We got this. We've been doing our groups a long time. Lord, no, thanks. We're going to do this group all on our own. Loving our community. Lord, you get the point, right? That can happen so quickly. We talked about that in the last sermon series, Drift. It is so important to keep in mind that with, without the Spirit, there is no church. So Luke right here, what's he do? He starts to, to pan back, if you will. If he's got a camera, he's been watching as the Holy Spirit comes into the room. And then he says, but wait, there's a whole rest of the city. Remember, the city is all there. People from all these regions, all these areas, they've all come together and they hear this loud noise. Was the loud noise eco? You know, was it the, the Holy Spirit coming? Maybe. Was it the sound as, as they start, apothengomai, you know, as they start to speak loudly? Maybe, but what we do know, we do know that this multitude starts to come together. This mass of people starts to come together. And as they start to come together, they hear the gospel being preached. They hear the incredible works of God being preached. And what do they say? They say, how is this possible? Those guys are a bunch of Galileans. Now, you want to know how they'd know that? Here's how they'd know that. Because when I preach, I've been in Michigan for almost nine years now. Y'all listen to me, and you're like, Billy tries hard, bless his heart. You know, <laughs> he, he tries hard as he can to try to sound like one of us Michigany people. But even when he tries to sound Michigany, he doesn't because he'll say something stupid, and then we know he's from the South. You know, he's going to say something, and he's going to give himself away, and he's going to say, y'all smell what I'm stepping in, or whatever he's going to say, and we're going to realize that he's from the South. Like, he's going to say something. Like, he tries hard. We know he tries. These guys are looking saying, okay, those are a bunch of Galileans. There's no way they know our language. Like mostly they're uneducated Galileans, so they're going to have the accent, right? And as hard as they try to not have the accent, they're going to have the accent. And so they're, they're looking, saying there's no way that these guys can know our language. How in the world is this possible? The Spirit provides momentum to the mission. Isn't this awesome? This, we're going to end in a cliffhanger. Like that's literally where we're going to end. Um, this is right here in the final moments before the church is born. Isn't that incredible? You have thousands of people gathered hearing the gospel in their language with no explanation of how that's happening except God. Without the Spirit, there is no church. So we can't accomplish, we can't accomplish the mission that God has given us without the Holy Spirit. So I think there's, there's really two groups here this morning. I think the first group, as I was talking about dry bones, I think it's possible that some of you thought to yourself, yeah, that's, that's me. He's talking to me. I mean, I don't want to go up there and talk about it or anything, but, but that's me. I've known for a little bit of time now that inside there's something missing. What you're missing is the Lord. That's what you're missing. When the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you, he breathes life into you. And you can experience that today. I just want you to know the truth. Here's the truth, that God loves you. He loves you perfectly. 
But you and I, we've got a problem. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. You're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from a holy and loving God. And my friends, that's why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came because you and I on our own, we can't close that gap between us and God. That's why he went to the cross. He paid the perfect, ultimate sacrifice on the cross. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved, that you'll be rescued, that you'll have a right standing with God. And I just want you to know today you can do that. I think the other group that we have, those that I would call brothers and sisters in Christ, you're part of this church family. Some of you got it this morning and you're going, you know, today I'm having the best of days. You know, it's so good. The, the week had some bumpy moments, some moments where I thought this, this might be the worst week of my life and all of a sudden it ended up being one of the best weeks of your life. Maybe that's you today. And, um, and again, maybe you're in a spot where you are having a hard time. It is challenging. It is rough. I, I think that's what's so beautiful about this is you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. You're surrounded by this church family. You're not supposed to do this mission alone. We're supposed to do this together. So I just want to encourage you to continue to trust in, to rely on, to cling to the Lord, and to turn and to see this church family you're surrounded with and to know you're not alone. Lord, we do thank you and we praise you. You're such a good, good father. You're so gracious to us. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I celebrate with those who are in such a good spot. They know that they're using their gifts to your glory. They know that you're working powerfully through them. Lord, we just give you all the praise for that. But Lord, for those who are struggling a little bit, I just pray that you give them clarity because you're not a secret agent God. You don't try to, to hide your ways from us. So reveal yourself to them through your holy word. Reveal yourself to them through the songs that we sing, through brothers and sisters in Christ as we come alongside and encourage. Show them how they're supposed to use their gifts. Open our eyes and help us to see the way that you do. So earlier I mentioned that group that um, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus. If that's you, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't wait. Right here, right now is a perfect time. And I just want to give you space to pray and just say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for today. God, I believe. I believe that Jesus came and he lived a perfect and a sinless life. I believe he was crucified for my sins. He paid the ultimate price that he suffered, that he died, that he was placed in that tomb where he stayed for three days. But I believe that he conquered sin. I believe that he conquered death. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Lord, I'm placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It is such a wonderful time to be part of Woodside Romeo. At this time, I want to encourage you to stand as we close our morning and worship together.